As you know, in Acts chapter 13, verse 39, this. And by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Uh, Christ can justify you from everything, make you right in the, in the presence of God. And so they came together and they said, listen, we've got to sort this out and we have to make some sort of a powerful decision right here because this is causing dissension in the churches. So Peter, in verse number 7, gets up to testify. And, uh, you know, he's quite a, uh, quite a character, Peter. He's the leader of the apostles. And he says, listen, it's been my experience. God shook up my life. And he showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Uh, in my life personally, I have no division between Jew and Gentile. We're all one in Jesus Christ. And so I think that Peter said, in effect, I vote for salvation by grace apart from the works of the law. I want to go on record. I think the scribe was taking down these notes. Uh, Peter said he doesn't believe that you merge Judaism and Christianity. Christianity is something different. Uh, Peter went so far as a Jew to use the Gentile conversion as a model for Jews to be saved by in verse number 11. Then Paul and Barnabas got up, and now these are, you know, if I, I use the word kind of cautiously, heavy hitters in the church. Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and uh, they gave a travelogue of their ministry, and God accepted the Gentiles without them becoming Jews. And then, and then James got up in verse 13. And he gives a powerful conclusion to all these arguments. And he, and he cites another authority. And guess what it is? It's the Old Testament. Now, this is going to be good for the Judaizers because this is their thing, the Old Testament. And so if you'll look with me in verse number 16, look at that. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles. Notice this. This is a quotation from Amos chapter 9. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. James says, listen, what we're seeing now is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The Gentiles are coming into the church, and you Jewish people need to accept it because this is biblical, what's happening today. Well, Amos makes no mention of Gentiles becoming Jewish proselytes. And so they summed up this important meeting, the Jewish council, by writing a letter. I call it the Jerusalem Decree. It's born. And they want to send this letter out to the churches to settle the issue because these people were squabbling in the church. You know, they were saying, hey, listen, we, we want to side with the Pharisee believers in our church or we want to side with the Gentiles. We've got to clear this issue up so the church can move on harmoniously. And so they create a communication. It's, you know, communication is vital in the church, isn't it? It's just not enough for a few leaders to be educated in correct doctrine. Everybody in the church needs to understand the doctrine of the church. What does the church believe? How is a person saved? And so they put together this communication. 
and they wanted to get it out. Now, they didn't get it out like we get it out today. We would say, check it out online, right? And everybody would have it instantaneously. They had to do the old-fashioned method. They had to write a letter. When is the last time you did that? Well, they wrote a letter, and boy, I'll tell you what, communication was pretty slow. Verse 23, let's look at it. And they wrote this letter, and here we find the contents of the letter. And the letter gives the express decision of this council. The Gentiles should consider themselves under no obligation to the rituals of Judaism. How about that? I'll bet they were relieved. Except, now there was an exception. Except they needed to be sensitive and demonstrate love relative to a few important issues. There were just a, a few issues that this communication said. Now, most of you, or some of you have heard that in the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments given. And I, I've heard that for years, and so I, I looked it up online, and sure enough, that's true. Uh, some were positive commandments from God, some were negative, 613 of them. If you look them up, somebody actually counted them up. They're all online, if you have time to read them all. Now, these people in the Old Testament era, they were living under that tremendous yoke. Look at verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Peter said, listen, the 613 commandments we have here, our fathers couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. Nobody that I know could do it. And it's just been a gigantic weight upon us. We can't put that weight on the Gentile converts. But you must not offend the Jews because we're trying to get everyone to come together and sit next to each other in church in peace and harmony. And so therefore, you have to be sympathetic to their DNA, where they came from. Now, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. You can't have warfare. You got to have peace. And so what they are saying, in effect, these people aren't going to change in one generation. Uh, they're not going to have somebody stand up and say, hey, listen, we're going, to, we're going to suck the DNA out of you. You're going to become a different person. But, uh, and so therefore, you have to be sensitive to their background. Uh, if they want to keep some of these rituals, let them keep them. But uh, don't argue about it. Let everybody live in harmony. And so look, look at the contents of the letter in verse number 29. He sums it up, and this is what he says. I want you to abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And if you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. And so this is the only thing he lays on the Gentiles right here. First of all, I want you Gentiles to avoid anything to do with idolatry and food offered to idols. I want you to refrain from sexual immorality. And the reason why he mentions these two things, idolatry and immorality, is because they were rampant in the Gentile world. And then he said, I want you to abstain from eating animals who died by strangulation. 
they weren't prepared in the right manner, don't eat blood either. And so actually we have about four things here. First of all, the most important thing was the doctrinal decision that was made in the council. Don't add keeping to the law to your salvation. The law is not necessary. Look at verse 11. Therefore, uh, verse, number, verse number 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Uh, Peter says, listen, salvation is by grace. That's the way the Gentiles were saved. That's the way we are saved. Um, and so the doctrinal decision was made. Then there was a practical decision, how to live the Christian life. Let's live it in peace. Uh, they like to eat a lot together. Uh, you can look up online, Love Feast of the Jews. When they came together as a church, they liked to eat together. Somebody said they were a lot like the Baptists today. I had a lady one time when I mentioned something like that. She was a Methodist. And she said, listen, we're better eaters in church than you are. Well, I have no way to prove that. I only have our perspective. But they used to get together and, they, and, and so what... What the Jerusalem Council is saying is, listen, I want you to be sensitive to the way they eat and prepare food. That's all I want you to do. Just go along with the program. Uh, you don't flaunt your, your, your freedom in front of them. And so, and so they create this letter, and they take it back to, uh, to the church in verse number 30 uh, at Antioch. And so when they sent up them off to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter and when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Uh, the church was excited. Listen, this issue is finally settled. Salvation is by grace, without the law, without incorporating the law into the plan of salvation. So the anxiety of the people at Antioch were, was greatly relieved. Lots of joy in the camp. Uh, and so this issue is settled. The doctrine of salvation is clarified. Now, whenever that takes place, uh, then they could think about the Great Commission. Look at verse 36. We find the progress of missions. After those days, Paul and Barnabas said, Let us now go back and visit the brethren in every city where we preach the word and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take him with them. Uh, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, this is what happens now. The church starts to move forward. They can breathe again. The question of salvation is settled by the first council of Jerusalem up uh, in the Jerusalem church. Warren Wearsby said the church at Antioch was not a parking lot, it was a launching pad. Paul uh, agreed with that. Paul was getting itchy feet. He was ministering in the church at Antioch, but he wanted to go out again and follow up. The motivation for their second missionary journey was follow up. Uh, this is where usually the church really lets down. You know, we work so hard to bring somebody to Christ, but we don't follow up well. We don't put them under our arm, and boy, I'll tell you what, that's, that's the thing that really launches a believer when somebody takes you under their arm when you come to Christ and says, listen, this is how to walk 
of the Christian road. And so that's what they wanted to do. Now they had a dispute. Uh, one, one group wanted to go one way, one group wanted to go the other way. Paul and Barnabas agreed on the importance of another trip, but they disagreed on who should go with them. And so Barnabas wanted to take John Mark. Uh, Paul didn't want to take John Mark because, as you remember, in chapter 13, John Mark left them in the first journey. He was their helper. He decided one day, I'm going home. I've had enough of this. And so Barnabas said, listen, I'm going to take John Mark with me. Uh, I'll give you a little clue. The reason, one of the reasons why is because John Mark was his cousin in Colossians 4.10. And so he said to John Mark, hey, cuz, come on, I'll take you. You know, blood is thicker than what? Water, right? And so Barnabas says to his cousin, come on, I'll take you. I'll give you another chance. But Paul was one of those guys, one strike, you're out. He said, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to take him on the trip and have him cave in on us again. Uh, who was right in this dispute? Maybe in some ways they were both right. You know, good people do disagree, you know that? Uh, I'd like to personally this morning come down on the side of Barnabas. I think if I were in that situation, I'd say, oh, come on, John, Mark, listen, let's go. I, I know you, have, you were having a bad day when you left us, but let's move on. I think Barnabas' decision was the right decision. And the reason why I say that is because John Mark really came on strong later, and Paul became a real, uh, really admired him as a, as a Christian. And he actually wrote the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark for us. But Paul looked at the situation the other way. Paul said, what can people do for God's work? And Barnabas said, what can God's work do for the people? You know, both of those questions are legitimate, you know. Uh, we ask ourselves that question oftentimes. What can I do for God? There's probably not a person in this auditorium this morning that doesn't ask themselves that question. What can I do for God? And the reason why is because in our heart, there is this compulsion to serve the Lord. We want to serve God. Sometimes we can't figure out how to do it, but we have this desire to serve the Lord. And so Paul, Paul's asking the question, what can you do for the work of Christ, John Mark? And Barnabas says, listen, let's not deal with that right now. Let's see what the church can do for John Mark. Let's see if the church can forgive him. Let's see if the church can give him another chance. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all or for the good of others. And that means that the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life is given to you to contribute to other fellow believers within the church. Uh, God's given you something to give to the church. God's given me something to give to the church. And if all of us do our thing, just the way God's designed it, the church will be well taken care of. The church will not have any needs. But if we don't respond to the Spirit of God, when the Spirit says, listen, I want you to participate in this way, I want you to give in this way, if we don't do that, the church limps along. It can't go full stream. It can't go full out. Well, 
not only do we come together to worship the Lord, but we come together in the church uh, to learn how to serve Christ. Uh, we, uh, we desire to do what God wants us to do. Now remember, these are two very mature people. Follow me this morning. Uh, here's Paul and here's Barnabas. They are two very mature Christians, but they didn't, they didn't ag agree. There was a rift. Uh, good people disagree. Uh, and so they decided, listen, Barnabas says, I'm taking my cuz, and we're going this way. We're going out to Cyprus. Uh, Paul says, listen, I'm not, I'm not going with him. He's a quitter. And so they, they separated. Now, here's the good news. The good news is now we have two missionary teams instead of one. And, you know, half the time when you look around the world, you find, well, this group is over here and this group is over here. Sometimes it started with a disagreement. But God is bigger than our disagreements, and he can use us whether we disagree with someone else or not. And so Paul chooses a new partner in verse 40. He chooses Silas. He replaces Barnabas with Silas. And, and so he headed out. And so we have these two groups going in two different directions. Barnabas headed out with John Mark, and he went to Cyprus. Uh, Paul needed a helper. Remember, John Mark was with Barnabas. And so in chapter 16, verse 1, look at this. He came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. And so he enlists Timothy. Who is Timothy? Timothy, according to Paul, is his own son in the faith. He won Timothy to Christ. This is interesting. Uh, you never know when your convert's going to rise up and be your best worker. He's going to be your right-hand person. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he calls him my own son in the faith. Remember, Timothy was the boy that was brought to Christ through his mother and his grandmother. Uh, he was a boy that was taught the scriptures from the very beginning. He probably witnessed Paul's suffering in Lystra in Acts chapter 14. And you know, when a Christian suffers, something good happens. Do you know that? I, I've mentioned to you before that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so remember, in Lystra, Paul was stoned and they thought he was dead. And here was Timothy looking at Paul saying, boy, I'll tell you what, look at the way he suffers. You know, one of the greatest messages a Christian has is the way they suffer. The way they suffer. Christians do a lot of suffering, you know that? They really do. Our church is, uh, is uh, the epicenter of suffering here in our church. When somebody suffers, we get a call. And we say, oh, no, it takes our heart away. It takes our breath away. How could this happen within our church? We're trying to serve God. We're trying to walk in the right direction. And these people now are suffering so bad, it just takes the breath away from us. Church Christians suffer. But, you know, there's a message in our suffering. And the message that we preach in our suffering touches the hearts of other people and opens the hearts of other people to God. And I think that probably Timothy was affected by Paul's suffering in Lystra. Because remember, Paul was affected by Stephen's stoning and became a Christian, at least at one point, because of that. And so here we find Timothy is going to join. He's going to be the helper now. And, the, and so now they have a new vision. 
they have a vision to go out and to do follow-up in the churches that they visited before. Now this vision that they had was not to be their vision, was, but was to be God's vision. And you know, that's always the struggle in our Christian life, isn't it? How are we going to tap into the vision of God for our life? Uh, you know, all of us, you know, we have our own ideas. We want to do our own thing. We want to go our own way. But, but we find in the Bible that uh, there is such a thing as closed doors and open doors. We try to go in this direction, and what happens? Bam, the door's closed. We try to go in this direction, door doesn't open. We try to go in this direction, whoa, the door swings wide open. Look at verse 4. And they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders of Jerusalem. And the church, in verse 5, was strengthened. Now look at verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. The Holy Spirit says, listen, this is a closed door to you. They went out and they said, listen, we want to go east. And the Holy Spirit said, no, I don't want you to go there to preach. And so it looks like they accepted that pretty well. And then look at verse 7. They came to Mysia and they tried to go to Bithynia, that's north. But the Spirit said, no, there. So they said, listen, I'm not going east. I can't go north closed doors. And so in a vision, God appeared to them in verse 9 through a man of Macedonia. And this man of Macedonia had this message for Paul and Silas, come over into Macedonia and help us. Uh, you know, oftentimes God changes the direction in our life. David Livingstone wanted to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, but God sent him to India. Adnarm Judson went, wanted to go to India, but God guided him to Burma. Uh, God changes our direction because it's not his direction. Uh, George MacDonald said, nothing makes a man stronger like a call for help. All the adrenaline in our bodies come alive when somebody says help. And so here they are, two people waiting on the, on the leading of God, and they get this vision, come over into Macedonia and help us. The Macedonian call, we call that. Come over and help. Well, the kind of help they needed, of course, was spiritual help. God wanted to lead them west into Europe. They came to the city of Philippi. Philippi was a pro-Roman city. People lived there, uh, they populated it, it was to be a stronghold for Rome. One of the perks of living in Philippi was the fact that uh, people could, Romans could live there tax-free. It was kind of a, a perk that they had. Uh, and so when uh, Paul finally got over there to the city of Philippi, he was on the, on the Sabbath, he was looking for a place to worship and there was no synagogue because there weren't enough Jews in the town to merit a synagogue. And so the next place he looked for the worship center was down by the river. And he went down there and he found some people worshiping there. Look at verse 14. There was a certain woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple from the city of Saratara and worshiped God. She was down by the riverside. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things which Paul spoke. Paul got down there and he found this 
this traveling sales lady, seller of purple, and he gave her the word of God and God opened her heart. Uh, you know, many of us in the church have tried to open a lot of people's hearts, haven't we? And we've failed. We've said, listen, you better get right with God. I want to open your heart. You know, only God can open a person's heart. Only a, and when God opens a person's heart, their heart's really open. You know that? God knows how to do it. And he opened the heart of Lydia. And, uh, and when he did that, look at verse 15. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Her whole household was saved and baptized. Baptism is a symbol of our salvation. It's the next step after we're saved. It's saying to the world, listen, I want to go public with my faith. I believe in Jesus Christ in my heart, but I want to go down through the waters of baptism to show to Christ in the world that I'm really a believer. Now, this is a wonderful thing for a household, and not always does this happen. Not always does the whole household accept Christ as their Savior, just like this. Uh, when I think back in my household, my mother accepted Christ first, my dad was second, uh, I was third, my sister was fourth. Uh, and it wasn't too long and that all kind of happened and that's the, way, that's the way you would like to draw it up on the planning board, but often that doesn't happen that way. Uh, salvation is a decision that every single person has to make alone. Uh, they have to come to God uh, on their own behalf and accept Him. Well, I think the church was pretty happy to get Lydia. She was successful. She was a salesperson. Who wouldn't like to have her in the congregation? And so, but God said, listen, I'm going to make this real, real for the church at Philippi. Look at verse 16. Now it happened as, as she went to prayer, as we went to prayer, a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us and brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Here was a demon possessed girl. And the Lord is saying, in effect, here's the second convert. I'm not only going to give your church a successful salesperson, I'm going to give you someone who is demon-possessed and whose life is wrecked. I'm going to keep this real, real. And you know, salvation is not only for the up-and-outer, but it's for the down-and-outer too, right? And so here the Lord is constructing a very wonderful church, the church at Philippi, from the up-and-outers and the down-and-outers. Uh, you know, the church is made up of all kinds of people. God molds us all together into a church family. We worship together. We pray together. We give together. We cry together. We rejoice together. Uh, he uses all of us. We're all imperfect. And we all bring our imperfections into the church. And we all submit under the authority of God to his word. And we try to, uh, to come together in unity uh, to go out and preach the gospel. Uh, they have settled in chapter 15 the false concept of salvation. Salvation is not by works. None of the works of the law, all, hundred, all 613 of them won't work for a person's salvation. Salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus alone and his finished work on the cross. Lydia was a seeker for God. And uh, she was near the kingdom, but she wasn't in the kingdom. 
but God opened her heart and she accepted Christ as her Savior. And there was this demon-possessed girl. She had lots of personal demons in her life, but Paul said, in the name of Jesus, I want you to be relieved from these demons. And that's what happened. You know, the first step in our Christian life is to deal with our own sins. You know that? Uh, if you've committed one sin, the Bible says you're condemned. You've broken the law of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, you may be a better sinner than another sinner, but it doesn't matter. Uh, there's only one category, and that's sinner, a sinner, and all of us are in that group. And so the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, and so what we have to do, according to this whole little chapter 15 and 16, is we have to work through our problems, and then it's time to evangelize. Then it's time to go on a missionary journey. Uh, we have to stop sometimes and work through some more problems before we can get going again. But that's what the church did. They dealt with the issue, they dealt with the problems, and then God opened the vision for them. The church started to move out again. And so I think that happens in our life as well. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, uh, let, me, uh, let me ask you, have you dealt with your sin? Have you come to God and said, Lord, I admit to you, I am a sinner. And I know that I'm condemned because of that. And I know that you died upon the cross for my sin. And I embrace you as my Savior and you alone. I won't bring you any of my good works because I know that the Scripture teaches that we're not saved by the law. We're only saved by your goodness and your favor and your love. Invite Christ into your heart this morning. Uh, forget about the past. Look into the future. Uh, humble yourself and admit to God you're wrong. Uh, maybe you had a wrong concept of salvation. Maybe you thought, well, I'm a good person. Listen, that's not good enough. There's only one thing that God accepts, and that's your acceptance of his son as your personal savior. And so reach out by faith right now. Say, Lord, come into my heart. I accept you. I'm coming to you on your terms, not mine. And then let's launch out into our next missionary journey, okay? Uh, and when God closes the door, let's just look for something open. Let's just go to the next spot. Don't brood over something maybe you've lost. Look forward to something you may gain by an open door. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for these stories in the Bible that make Christian living so, so exciting and, and, and so applicable to us today in our world. I pray that as we assimilate these stories to our life that you'll make the application. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. If you'd like to come and pray, you feel free to do that.